Zach Ozzettino from Sportsnet up in Canada, and you're listening to the Tomahawk Roundup. All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Sarosky here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by NHL Draft Insider Sam Cosentino with Sportsnet up in Canada. Sam, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Frank. Nice to be on. Nice to be talking a little bit of hockey. I wish I was able to watch it live. Yeah, I know the I know the feeling. So, just just with this NHL season, you know, obviously looking ahead to your specialty with the 2021 NHL draft. Who are some prospects our listeners should keep an eye out? In the in the running, whenever we do have this draft. Well, you know it's interesting. I, I went to school in in, uh, in Michigan in a little small town there in uh, Spring Arbor, Michigan, and it's funny because not too far from there, maybe forty minutes in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So that's probably the first place I'd be looking when it comes to the NHL draft for two thousand and twenty one. I'm looking at Kent Johnson and Owen Power and, and Matty Beniers, and those are three guys that I expect to, to be inside the top ten and kind of a cool thing to be able to watch out for because there's not been an NCAA program that's had three current players. Now there's been uh, commits, but not three current players on their roster drafted in the first round. So I think not only will we see that, but I think we'll see all three of those players go into the top 10 and then you slip over to the U.S. under 18 program not too far from Ann Arbor and getting into Plymouth, Michigan. You know, and Luke Hughes is the guy that, that jumps out there. So what... Um, at this particular time, Frank, when you're looking at the, the Canadian Hockey League, we do have some players in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, um, you know, that uh, I think are going to be some pretty successful guys when it comes to uh, James Malatesta, you know, Justin Robidaux, the son of Stefan Robidaux. Sure. We got Zach Leroux, you know, a lot of a lot of really good guys that are coming out of the Quebec League. And I know that's a, a place where Chicago's had some success. I look at what Kurashev's doing right now and Nick Bodin getting in the lineup. So, you know, we'll see how that goes, but uh, I think we need to kind of wait on pause here for what's going to happen in the Western Hockey League and the OHL since they have uh, yet to start playing. Yeah, and I and I see a lot of that. You know, we talked with a guy that uh, I'm sure you've heard about, uh, just touching on the Quebec Major Junior League. A uh, guy um, up in Saint, uh, up with Oceana, uh, uh, Alex Drover. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about him? You know, we had a chance to talk with him a little while ago. Obviously, what he brings to the table as a as a prospect. Well, you know, when you look at uh, some of the players that are playing in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. The one thing that they have going for them above everybody else is the fact that they're actually playing games. So it's a situation now where you have to be happy that you're at least in that regard. You're looking at a guy that's about you know, average size, maybe 180, 185 pounds, uh, but also a right shot guy. So that also uh, tends to, to play out in your favor. But this guy's had some experience in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. He's moved on from uh, the St. John Sea Dogs, where they had a couple of rough seasons to the Ramuski Oceanica, and a team there that's, that's rebuilding. But when it comes to, to Alex, um, you know, you're looking at a guy who was eligible for the draft last year, didn't go uh, so well for him, and so the opportunity maybe to go in as a redraft will will um, will help him out. But he's been given more responsibility since moving over to Ramuski. You know, he's able to put up more points. I think at St. John, there's you know, you had uh, a coaching change and essentially would have had three coaches in, you know, over the course of a year and a bit. So that can become challenging because as soon as you get comfortable with one, then you make a change. Right. And that coach might see things differently than somebody else. So, you know, for Alex, I still think that there's a, a lot of positivity when, when moving forward here. And I think that the change of scenery to Ramuski will, be, uh, will definitely be helpful. 
Yeah, it, it certainly will be just talking with him, a really excitable young man, uh, excited to just go out there and show what he's got. So going back a little bit to the World Juniors in Edmonton this past tournament, take our listeners through the new protocols you and your crew had to go through and what the tournament is like covering it. Well, for me, I mean, we're we're not the rights holders, so it's always uh, you know a bit of a challenge for us at Sportsnet to be able to cover that event. And, you know, typically when it's in Canada or when it's in North America, uh, you know, I have the opportunity to go and, and cover the event. But that didn't uh, work out for me this year. We had some extensive conversations with, with my bosses. And, you know, I had planned to try and uh, mitigate the travel to get there by going in for the medal round. And, you know, our bosses at work decided that, uh, hey, listen, we want to do it one way or the other. Either we're going to go all in and, and have you there for the entire period time or you know are you going to stay at home and cover it so you know throughout those conversations obviously the the health and safety issues came up and they were really good about making it my choice so instead frank what they did is they came and installed a camera in my house and you know between instagram between the live camera that they were able to hook up to our studios in toronto and some radio interviews and, and other digital and social media responsibilities was able to cover the event from here by watching games on, on television and by uh, being able to attend all the media sessions on, on Zoom. So, um, you know, the one really cool thing about that is, um, you know, we're doing a pregame show, um, a little segment on the NHL Network before the, the final game. And um, Jameson Coyle, the host, surprised me and put up the notes of my kids. I had my kids sometimes sitting in with me. Uh, taking notes over the Zoom call. So that was kind of a cool byproduct of it all. But uh, always better to be there if you can be. Unfortunately, this year uh, I wasn't able to attend. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but no. I, I remember that segment with you on the NHL Network. Jameson's a great guy. Love working with him. And it's it's it, it was a it was a really wholesome moment just uh, seeing that the human side you know the human factor that a lot of people just see people in the the business whether it's just their uh, as a player or as a reporter or as a general manager they don't look at the human factor and when you when you have something from your kids in there that's really special. Oh yeah, you know my son he he was really excited and he got to, got into watching the tournament games and got into knowing the rosters pretty good and. You know, I think maybe because of dad, he follows the, the draft a little bit, and that's been exciting for me to be able to sit there and, and kind of talk through that with him. And, you know, we watch a lot of NHL games here. Of course, we're in the market of the Toronto Maple Leafs, a team that's playing pretty well right now. So, you know, when his dad says, hey, you know what, I remember that guy when he played in London, or I remember that guy when he played in Valdor, and, and, and he says, daddy, you actually know that guy? I said, yeah, well, you know, we met him when we were calling games, so to be able to have their notes show up on TV and for me to show them uh, back later. Uh, both my seven-year-old son and my five-year-old daughter were, were really impressed by that. So that was a really cool, like you say, human uh, humanizing kind of moment. Yeah, that's that's really special, Sam. So uh, just you've covered a lot of Canadian Hockey League action and done games as a color commentator. How does your preparation go for a given game? Like, take us through the steps of that. enough to have a schedule that's usually pretty accurate from the start of the season so you kind of hone in on those teams uh in particular and, and do a, you know as best a job you can following them looking at highlights and box scores of, of all the games that they play um you know while at the same time i'm also looking at the draft eligible prospects so there's a little bit of a deeper dive into those players in particular so 
you know, from there and, and going through the box scores and watching the highlights and, and keeping an eye on any storylines. Um, you kind of go through each player and, and see if there's anything that really jumps out, either about their family connections to the game, uh, other athletes that might be in the family, anything kind of personal that they've done, any charitable work, anything that really jumps out maybe from their social media feed. And you take notes and you throw those into the notes. And, you know, the CHL does such a great job with their statistics that you're able to kind of have that part of it um, figured out as well. I, I mean a little bit less on the statistics. I leave that more for the play-by-play commentator. Uh, so I try and do a little bit more of a deep dive in educating our uh, our viewers on, on some of the fabulous stories from these players. And, you know, like we just talked about, trying to humanize things a little bit. Because, um, listen, you can sit down and you can watch a hockey game and you can say, oh, yeah, that guy scored a great goal. But, you know, what's really cool is this guy's been fighting through adversity. His mother's been ill. You know, he's thinking about his family. His billets have been great. He's been inspired by, by his parents. He just got home to be able to see... You know, there's a lot of different stories that are like that that, that come along. And so we try and tell those stories uh, as well as the hockey side of it. And that's, and that's a big thing I noticed, especially uh, evolving more into the age of social media, into the digital age. You know, we have those kind of stories, you know. I remember I talked with Cody Glass uh, right after he got uh, drafted with Vegas. You know, he was with the Chicago Wolves for a while, talked with him. And that human story, like you said, about uh, the family and what the person's going through, that's a really big deal. And it's, it's impressive that we can get to cover those kind of things. Yeah, I think we're really lucky that we're able to do that. And and again, uh, you know, I think sometimes people are put put up on a pedestal even at a young age. And some, maybe others that are watching, think that they're infallible. And I think it's important to get those messages out there because there's probably a lot of people uh, at some point, either viewing, watching, listening, or reading, that have gone through similar things. And maybe they get a... Uh, they feel supported by someone who's gone through before. Maybe they're able to reach out to that person to fe- to figure out how they've dealt with it. Maybe right. that connection enables them to reach out to professionals to, to get help to how to deal with their situation. So, yeah, for sure, it's important. Yeah, it is really important. So shifting to Chicago a little bit, you know, we're – we're getting lucky enough to see a lot of great uh, OHL prospects, but I want to hone in on one specifically that's with the Chicago Wolves, now affiliated with the Carolina Hurricanes, Ryan Suzuki. I mean, what a dynamic player. A lot of people, you know, the Wolves cycled over their roster the past year, switching affiliates from Vegas to Carolina and Nashville. Give our listeners a little insight to what he's like and what we can expect to see from him. Yeah, you know what, a really interesting player in these had the uh, ability to watch his brother Nick go through it and be a guy that, uh, you know, was uh, one of Vegas's first choice in that inaugural draft that they were in after Glass. I think it was Suzuki was uh, taken 13th, if I can remember correctly, but uh, and then was a big part of the Max Pacioretty trade thereafter. So he's been able to see what, um, you know, NHL life has offered up to his brother. And of course, Nick is well on his way to a a really successful career. So sure. when you have someone blazing that path for you, I think that's a, uh, you know, that can be very beneficial. But getting back to Ryan, he's been identified very early on as a, as a top prospect, uh, a guy who's a really good playmaker, probably doesn't shoot enough, but is learning that side of the game and learning to be a little bit more selfish. Uh, but good edge work, good skater, unbelievable vision, lots of deception in this game, really slick hands, and, and a guy who... Um, you know, has just continued to grow. 
Um, you know, he's a good, a really good young man. That character-wise, I've had the opportunity to meet him before. And then he started out with the Barry Colts, had a bad eye injury that kept him out a significant amount of time. And at one point, they thought it might threaten his career. Before move over to the Saginaw Spirit, where he got into, you know, being able to play with some older, more experienced players and, and players uh, like Cole Perfetti, who went tenth overall to Winnipeg. And I think that really, really helped his game. So. He's a guy that I really, really like. I think there's a lot of uh, subtleties to his game, uh, but I'd say the thing that stands out most about uh, about Ryan is the fact he's got excellent vision. He's a really, really good playmaker. And that's what I noticed when I watched him and Barry because, I like like yourself, I had the chance to talk with him uh, pre-draft before he went to the Carolina and like you said, the vision of Ryan Suzuki, I think uh, where he surprised a lot of people was at the World Junior Tournament because you had like 19 first-round picks on Team Canada, and he's able to stand out in that lineup. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, sometimes those, those elite athletes, they get into competition with other elite athletes, and it helps drive them. And that inner competition is something can that can really be a you know, a driving force to, to make you better. And not only that, but when you're practicing with better players, it can only help you to get better. So uh, I look at that situation for Ryan. He's a guy that, quite honestly, I didn't select to be uh, on Canada's team in my predictions. I'm not necessarily surprised because he'd worked with Coach Andre Tourier in the Colinka Gretzky tournament a couple of years earlier, so there was a lot of familiarity there. Uh, but he turned out to be a little bit more of a pleasant surprise than I thought at that event. So he's well on his way to, I think, following in his brother's footsteps. Yeah, following in his brother's footsteps. So sticking with the OHL, you know, their season hasn't started yet. They re- There hasn't been a lot of development with that. We have some Chicago prospects in the OHL currently, like Tucker Tynan and Simon Motu. What are you hearing about a potential return to play for the OHL, if we're going to get that, what it would look like? There was some stuff that came out today, and you know, uh, you know, Commissioner David Branch hasn't really said a whole lot about it. But uh, some of the rumors that are floating around would be an, an April second to fourth start, uh, and the potential of playing in four hub or protected environments uh, has also been thrown around, somewhat like what the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League has done. Sure, where you're not necessarily in a bubble. Uh, because of the, the cost prohibitiveness of being able to do that, but in a protected environment where essentially you're going from the rink back to wherever it is you're staying and then back to the rink, um, you know, and limiting travel as much as possible, limit, limiting contact with, with others as much as possible, yet still trying to, you know, to make something of the season. So at that point in Ontario, if you begin in April, you'd probably be looking at a 20 to 25 game uh, schedule. And then kind of all bets are off, I think, when it comes to the Memorial Cup. So I do believe that the Ontario Hockey League will play. Things have lessened slightly here in Ontario as they're starting to ease some of the restrictions. Having said all that, these new variants may turn us back into a situation where we are um, you know, limited to, to very few activities outside of the household. Yeah, and that's and that's what stinks about this whole pandemic, but it makes sense. Obviously, we want to protect the health and safety of the players and the communities first over, and it just it's it's sad to see what ha- what happens when there isn't a season, but it makes you appreciate it that much more. Well, no question. I mean, I I missed being in the rink. My last game was March 8th of last year, and 
it was a regular season OHL game between uh, Kitchener and, and Windsor, and that was really when things started to, to take off. I, I slipped out after that game, went down to Florida to meet my family for a couple of days, and we ended up having to cut that trip short in, in order to get home uh, before things got really serious. So I was thankful for um, you know for the opportunity to be able to, to change flights and get home with my family and, and kind of hunker down. But uh, yeah, man, I, I miss being at the rink. And, that's that's kind of what we do, and it's not, you know, not just necessarily watching games or calling games, but the social aspect of it. Right. You know, talking to scouts and working with with our crew and and all those sorts of things, and talking to coaches. That you know, that's the part I, I miss most is, is some of those great interactions that we're able to have with the access we have to to the Canadian Hockey League. Yeah, and that's and that's a big a big thing, you know, the social piece because a lot of people say, you know, it's it's not the people that have the virus necessarily are only being affected it's the people that don't have the virus that are that are having the social taken away from them and it's it's affecting everyone regardless of if you have the virus or not oh for sure i mean that's that's the thing you, you realize that, that you need a hug or you need to see your buddies or you need to get out for a beer you know in my case i've played with the same beer league hockey guys uh, you know for 25 years where it's a bunch of friends we split into two teams we have jerseys we have no refs we have two goalies and you know, it's good for one or two beers afterwards, uh, but it's that camaraderie you have and the friendships mm-hmm. that, that you make, that you create, that you build, um, and, and even a little bit of business networking that, that goes on there. So uh, just from a very personal standpoint in terms of playing the game with my buddies from Monday nights, we haven't had the opportunity to do that in a year, and, and I really miss that part of it as well. Right, right. And what, uh, just keeping with the pandemic and with the prospects kind of tying it all together, what's your message to the young prospects who have had their season impacted? How would you suggest that they go forward from an analyst's perspective? Well, I think the, the number one thing that you have to, to focus on is, and a friend of mine, Rob Palante, who, who played at Michigan Tech many years ago, and uh, I'd done some work with him over this past weekend. But one thing that he said that really struck me is, is uh, turning obstacles into opportunity. And I think if you can take that approach uh, into the, the continuation of the pandemic and being off ice, then I think you have an opportunity really to, to do some things that you rarely get to do. So you're talking about players who aren't ever with their families at, at this time of year unless you're lucky enough to play in your hometown. You're talking about the ability to maybe to hang out and, and do things with friends and attend um you know, some, some birthdays as long as they're uh, within that tight group uh, uh, that you normally wouldn't get the opportunity to do. Uh, but the number one thing is really spending more time with your family. Uh, aside from that, when it comes to the professional part of it and the hockey part of it, listen, there's a lot of things that you can do, uh, even just with a set of weights in your own garage. Most of the players that I know have had some access to something better than that, whether it's, you know, treadmill, elliptical, uh, weights, uh, shooting pads, outdoor ice. There are a bunch of different things that you can do and still do them safely, uh, Frank, that I think a lot of players have undertaken. So, you know, whether it's weight gain is something that you needed to do, adding strength, that's something that you can do that you don't need a, a lot uh, of equipment or a lot of, uh, you know, interaction with others. You can work in your skills, stick, shooting. Um, you know, you can work in the mental side of the game. You can go back and watch video. There's an abundance of things that you can do to improve, and I understand nothing replaces games, and I understand that you know practicing in that in that group setting is also irreplaceable. But there are a lot of things that you can do on your own 
to really hone in uh, some of the weaker parts of your game. Yeah, and that's 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 what I've heard from the players that have been affected by the pandemic. It's really just the little things that you're doing. The, the how can I better myself during this time? I like that phrase you used: obstacles into opportunity. And that's that's a big thing. This resilience that we're not just in the hockey world, but in the rest of the world, are learning to utilize to our benefits. Well, that's just it. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm a father of two young kids, and, and we're home, and you know what? They probably get sick of me a little bit. My wife probably gets sick of me a little bit. <laughs> you know, but but honestly, when you're when you're looking at um, just understanding your family better and trying to create a better family dynamic, that's something completely aside from the game that we as a family have, have worked on. And so it's trying to fight through some of the challenges, work on behavior stuff, you know, having that interaction of what the kids are thinking about the parents, what we as parents are thinking about our kids. That part's been really cool. And, you know, sometimes because they're younger, maybe we don't give them the credit they deserve for being as smart as they are. But you're exactly right. This, you know, I'm not a player, obviously. And, you know, I've gone back and looked at video and trying to work more on the scouting side of things. But there's a lot of things that you can do both work-related and family-related that I think you can improve on in, in these situations. Improving work and family. Those three things sum up the resilience of the pandemic. Sam Cosentino of Sportsnet. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we head out today? No, we're good, Frank. I want to thanks for uh, for your patience and getting everything set up here and then finally getting the, getting the date and the time locked down to be able to do this. But uh, pretty interesting. I didn't know if we'd be talking about the Chicago Blackhawks as a playoff team at this point. But, Neither uh, did I. Thanks to a couple, thanks to a couple of CHLers who got to bring it over there. Strom Kershev's played well. Pew Suter, my goodness, I watched that little guy playing golf and what he's been doing has been simply unbelievable. So, you know, you go back to guys like uh, Keith and Kane, who I was lucky enough to watch play in the Canadian Hockey League, and it's really neat to see where they've taken things this year when I think everyone thought the Hawks would take a major step backward. That hasn't necessarily been the case, and they're in the hunt, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it, they're surprising a lot of people, and that's the main thing. We're enjoying what we get with the season. So, yeah, this is this is a it's an interesting season, but we're making the best of it. That's all we can do, right? Improved protocols introduced by the NHL today, so hopefully everyone will be able to continue to play, play safely, and, and we'll see what we can make of the rest of this year. All right, Sam Cosentino of Sportsnet, thank you so much for the time. All right, Frank, thanks.